We are back with everybody's favorite Edgar Allan Poe to talk about symbols, irony, and madness today. Ooh. Is this a scary one? I don't want a scary one. You didn't read it? You're supposed to read it. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I read it. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Looks like we got a video for people who haven't read the story to talk about the story. So, <laughs> welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Emo Crypto. If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we take a conversational approach to discussing and understanding the literature that we read. Today, we are doing The Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe, and we need to talk about the pronunciation of this. Before we get there, we start off with publication information, and The Cask of Montelado, maybe, was published in 1847, <laughs> and we'll leave a link down in the description below where you can read it for free. So let's get to that enunciation before I mess up too many times. So Amontillado, it comes from Spain. Right, so so I assume Spanish pronunciation, and which would say double L is ya. Yeah, well, I think that's true, but this story takes place in Italy, and although both based on Latin, I think there might be a little bit of difference to the enunciation. You are correct. I, when I was in Italy, I actually ordered El Pollo when I was at a restaurant, and they're like, Polo. Like, they corrected me at a restaurant. How rude. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you thought you were being all cool and fancy. You're like, I'm American who can speak some Italian. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Amontillado. But now for the cask of Amontillado, a cask is basically a barrel. So we're going to be drinking barrels of wine today. Poe had a unique writing style. He almost always seems to have two characters that are at odds end with each other. And in this story is no exception. We have all, You have these two characters that are very intertwined, and it's interesting how he takes almost a happy ending in the reverse. He always makes sure that one of the characters is basically delving into madness, going insane. And again, in this world, we're in the psychopath's head. We don't know what a sane person thinks in a Poe world. We only live in these criminally insane people, basically. And I think that it, he does that on purpose because he's trying to manipulate you and make you feel bad for the bad guy until you get to the end and realize they're both kind of bad guys. And the bad guy doesn't get what he wants, even though he is successful in his plan. And this is one of the only post stories that the murderer gets away with. It. So let's jump into plot. The narrator Montresor and Fortunato have a friendship. But the narrator harbors a secret hatred for Fortunato. During a drunken night at Carnival, Montresor tells Fortunato about how he thinks he has fake Amontillado wine. And Fortunato, being the wine connoisseur, will help him identify whether it is or isn't. Now, Montresor leads him down the twisted stairs of his family into the family tombs. His friend has a cough and he locks him up in a small room in his family tombs where Fortunato cries out, Where's the Amontillado? <laughs> <laughs> like, Montres oh, there's some other red bells you should be looking here, guy. <laughs> As Montresor fills up the wall with bricks and mortar, his friend says it was a good joke. Montresor hears the bells on his friend's hat as he closes off the room forever. Montresor tells us, the audience member, that it was nearly 50 years ago that this occurred, and he has not heard a disturbance since then. End plot. It's not your typical Poe story. If th This one is very, very unique, and I really, really enjoyed it. Well, it's a very famous plot. You, you cannot tell me you've never seen a story where you have a hero basically chaining up, locking away their villain to basically leave them in the darkness forever. Like, this, this, is, this is very classically the leaving someone to their own madness, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, I think of this usually as kind of the uh, worst 
case scenario for a vampire. That's where my brain always goes is they live forever and then they get put in their coffin and then buried undead alive ish or whatever. And this is, this is something that we see very common in modern culture, movies, TV, etc. And I think that for me, that's one thing that you definitely have to take into consideration is this is one of those starting point stories. And although you've seen it time and time before, Try to forget that and just enjoy the story. So what makes Poe a master of this, really, this gothic horror genre? I really like the usage of wine in this story because I kind of thought that it paralleled the narrator. You know, you didn't know if the Amontillado wine was real or if it was genuine or not. And in the same way, we have a lot of irony with a Montresor where he does, his friend Fortunato has no idea whether he's real or not as well. You, you have to take things at surface value and you're not sure until you delve a bit deeper. And I kind of felt like there's a little parallel between the two in this. For sure. It's also kind of crazy that he uses wine, which is sometimes seen as a sinful uh, device for many people, uh, drunkenness and lewdness and all those bad things that can ensue with you know getting drunk and using wine. But on the flip side of it, again, you always have those dualities. Wine is the one alcohol that is seen as what? Classy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ask me, I thought Montresor was very classy. <laughs> oh, I think that says something more about you, my friend. <laughs> I think he's in a class of his own. Now, with that said, he heads down a long winding staircase as they enter the den- the dank ground of his family catacombs. Uh, arguably, I thought this was kind of very representative of his... I guess his psyche, the the winding dark, you know, or or his soul. I think it could be interpreted either way for sure. And then we kind of get to this quote, which I think is kind of the the main thrust of the story. You know, he's suffered, you know, how many insults from him, and he's had enough. And 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 we get to see a glimpse of that. What the insults were throughout the story, we don't know. But we get a glimpse of the insults when they're walking down, and he's just like. You're not the Masons, are you? There's no way you're in the Masons. Basically, an old club that you kind of had to join. Not really that big of a deal, but the idea is you aren't good enough to be in the Masons is the backhanded compliment that Fortunato gives Montresor. I think this really takes us to the next part of the quote, which is probably the true insulting part and seeing why he has such this deep hatred where he says, I forgot your arms. A huge human foot door in a field azure, the foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Ah, man, I'm going to mess this up. It's a Latin phrase that means no one harasses me with impunity. (laughs) (laughs) Nemo me impun lacit. No no clue. But the idea is that his friend doesn't even remember what his arms are. What what are arms, Crypto? Uh, In most cultures, it's going to be like your your physical prowess or going to be military guns, something like that. Or family crest, even. A lot of people used to bear that around. And here his friend doesn't even remember what it is. And you'll notice the Latin phrase, no one harasses me with impunity. And that's kind of the whole point of this story is that his friend has dealt so many, oh, dramatic insults. He couldn't possibly <laughs> deal with any more of these insults. I got to kill my friend is, is what's going through this character's head. Yeah, that definitely says that uh, something else is going on here besides just being a little bit insulted because that's kind of a thing is just, you know, ribbing each other and, you know, joking around. But obviously he doesn't feel that it's just joking and that it's gone too far. Well, and when it comes to joking, you have to remember they were at Carnival. He was dressed as a fool, too. 
So that furthers kind of, we talked about earlier about some of the irony in the story. His friend is wearing like that little bell, you know, like the little jester's hat with the bells. That's what the ringing was when he like locked him away. And there's a lot of irony in his friend playing the fool for this moment. Too. I totally thought of Goodfellas at this point. Am I a clown? Do you, do I make you laugh? Like that immediately went to my head of like, oh, this is like a real good old written literature representation of the, the fool being funny or the fool right. not supposed to being funny and being insulted by that. Right. And Poe does a couple of good options for why our narrator could be insulted. We've talked at, at length about kind of the insults. And there's also the part about money, too, where we didn't like Fortunato because they had more money than us. We were a fallen family. We don't even remember your arms anymore, that you, you are now disgracing this this town, even though you have your own castle and casks of wine to drink at Carnival. <laughs> I don't think it's just the insults either. I think a lot of this could stem from jealousy as well, as he is a professional wine connoisseur. That That's a very harbored skill in Italy, you know, a place known for food and wine. Good point. And it's also Carnival, which in its origin was about a night of being equal. We dress up and put on these masks so we don't know who's upper class, lower class. We all come out to be equalized. And here comes his friend who's allegedly on this high altar. Depend, no, you know, whatever insult or, or riches or skill you, you are thinking is the insult here. Carnival is a night of equalization. It's very symbolic for why this, this night is chosen as well, beyond just the servants being out for the night partying and getting drunk, right? Yeah, and he won't even give him that equality on this one night as the whole time where he's plotting to to uh, to murder him. The narrator is just still infuriated with what's going on and is like, see, this is why I'm going to kill him. He won't even give me this one night where we're supposed to be treated as equals. I'm in the right here. I'm doing something good for the world. I'm ridding the world of this evil man. So we this leads to your point earlier of we have two characters that are diametrically opposed to each other. Now, only one of them knows about it, but we do have the the rivalry between these two. And I think that's something that we see in a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's writing is that revenge fantasy. Like this is leading towards the murdering someone for some purpose. And Poe, both in Telltale Heart and here, is letting the reader fill in their own reasons for that murder, even though he does give you several different somewhat viable options from a murderer standpoint, I guess. Yeah, and I love to bring it back again to what you said. This is that point of irony, right? Where we as the audience are in on it and only we and the narrator know what truly is going to happen or potentially going to happen. Yeah, so he seals him away 50 years and now he's telling us a story and he has no remorse. Like there's no regret injected into this narrative that that's how we can kind of pretty confidently say that this guy is a psychopath because he doesn't feel bad about killing his friend. Um, I also think that if this were meant to be kind of more of like a, a redemption story, to your points earlier when we kicked the story off, you talked about how the bad guy kind of wins here. You would almost see Charles Dickens, if he were writing the ending to this, he would have like, when he came back 50 years later, he would have heard the jingle and he would have started to go insane at that point in time, kind of like Telltale Heart, but there would have been some redemptive act. Instead, very clean murder, gets away with it, doesn't hear the bell anymore, bad guy wins. Does he truly win though? Because if you think about it, when Fortunato is sealed away and the narrator stops hearing him talk... He doesn't get that last little begging for his life or whining or crying. The bells just stop and he seals in that last brick and then nothing. And he doesn't get a satisfaction of his kill. So does he truly win? Because he seems disappointed in this. He's not remorseful. He's almost maybe prideful about it. But 
he loses by committing this murder with no satisfaction, I think, is how Poe is writing it. Well, and it's also the way, to your point, the way Poe wrote it, the, the reaction from the character being walled away while drunk, they did say that he sobered up real quick. Where's that Amontillado? <laughs> um, a, a person who had sobered up would have been begging or screaming or or somehow pleading to stop it, not laughing. Uh, it's just very, it's very stylized the way that Poe did that, that you start to question, did it really happen to your point? Did he imagine this? Is this in his mind? And this is his cracking insanity. This all becoming a fantasy story, because let's say you just pick a wall in your basement. I could pretend <laughs> I can pretend there's something behind there. That doesn't mean that there is because no one actually went and checked 50 years later. So this could all just be a made up fantasy revenge story. And his friend just moved away or something like that. We don't know. I 100% can support your argument with that is that the bones that he lays in front of the wall have not been touched at all. Like nobody's even looking for this guy or anything. And I think that kind of supports that very typical Poe story that a lot of this could be attributed to some type of mental illness like many of his stories Telltale Hearts, Raven, etc. That that's just kind of what he does is he messes with you in your head about it being in their head. Guys, I know sometimes people really enjoy these conversations, but they're not sure what to say. If you want to help us out, please feel free to leave like a wine emoji or something just to kind of help out our channel here a little bit. If you're down for more literature discussions like on Poe, we'll have a Poe play- playlist down below. Crypto, let's move into our subjective ratings. What are you going to give this one? Is this one of the greatest short stories of all time? Uh, unfortunately, I have to say no to that. I really did enjoy this story for what it was. The first time I read it and then we discussed I was a little bit down on it because I felt like, like you, I'd seen this story so many times before in modern culture, pop culture, etc. But I don't think that's fair to judge it, you know, from my 2020 rose-colored glasses. Uh, So I think that for enjoyment, I want to give it like a solid six and a half. Analytically, I think it's uh, something that's a simple story that could be set up for a high school class, you know, a general literature class. This is going to get you started to learn some of those very basic understandings of writing. Poe is a wonderful introduction to be able to do things like irony and symbolism and etc. So I'm going to give it also probably a, a solid seven for that. So around six and a half or seven. I guess I'm the same on both. And it's worth saying if you're really into using literature to teach you know your students about irony, uh, Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl also does a really good job of having lots of different types of irony in the story. I'll go with an overall seven for my rating as well. So... With that said, guys, if you would like to join us on the literature adventure, uh, feel free to hit that subscribe button for us. Uh, We post videos every Monday and Thursday. Luna out. Peace.